Okay, good evening, Chavra. Um, we're going to have to try to make sure that we don't get kicked out of here. So I'm going to try to talk a little quieter. And make sure that we're not making too much noise to interfere with any of the other shurim that are going on here. But uh, Baruch Hashem, our shul's at a place where we, have, we just have too many shurim going on here. We can't figure out where everyone should be. So that's right. We we are secure, double raft in case we explode. We won't leak. We won't leak out into the other room. Okay. So I think that at this point we have successfully um, proved our point about Mishnayis that properly learning a Mishnah sets us up to to an easier or a more smooth ride into the Gemara. And that was really the first four shiurim, the first four classes that we gave, just took us through a kind of an excursion through a number of Mishnayas throughout Shas, and then exploring the Gemara afterwards and seeing how when we analyzed the Mishnah properly, we had predicted very much of what's going to happen inside the Gemara. Now I want to move on to the second part, which is really taking apart the Gemara. The actual Gemara itself is something which is a whole second issue of being able to take apart what's going on in the Gemara. So it's true that if you learn the Mishnah properly, you're going to ask, where do we know this from? It's true that if you learn the Mishnah properly, you're going to ask Pshita, or you're going to ask um, a question of Ibayalahu. But as we go through the Gemara, we want to be able to, and I, cut, I pulled off of the first page, the first shear, we had this little chart over here, which told us there was identifying keys and being able to always ask yourself what the goal of the Gemara is. And this week I want to go through, I think that most of this is pretty obvious to us, and all of us have been learning Gemara for a long time. None of these concepts over here are brand new, but I want to kind of slowly and methodically go through all of this and then show with two Gemaras how these different concepts become very relevant. So we're not up to key phrases yet, because key phrases is going to come up. But we'll have to go through just like a number of the key phrases you'll find in the Gemara and know that even though it may be difficult to translate exactly how those phrases work, but be, to be familiar with their purpose. But these over here, and I'm, to be honest with you, these really come from the Ramchal. The Ramchal has a sefer where he, the Derech Tevunas, where he goes through these things. And these, these, um, these are basically the concepts that we have to be familiar with and prepared for as you go through every Gemara. And then you ask yourself, whenever you learn a Gemara, which concept am I dealing with right now? And again, I can't stress enough how important this step is because I have been around long enough in the walls of yeshiva or learning with people when they know how to translate a line in Gemara. But when you ask them exactly what is that line doing, there's something called fumfering. You know what fumfering is? It's a Yiddish word, which means they, it's, it's, it goes something like that, right? It's, it's a kasha. It's, who's the kasha on? Is it a kasha or is it a shaila? Is it a teretz or is it, or is it an ants? Or is it, and what's the difference? And these things are very important because we have to remember our entire halachic system that we have is based off of Gemara. We, we basically have, if you look in the, the Marsha, really makes this very clear. In the back of the Gemara, we have the Marsha. He has two things. Chidushi Halachas and Chidushi Agadas. Chidushi Halachas is where the Marsha goes to the Gemara and he gives different Chidushim, different insights 
into halacha of the Gemara. He calls it the halacha. Why? Because all Talad Chalki Shulchan Arach are derived from the Gemara. Essentially, when we have a halacha in Shulchan Arach, it's a process where the Gemara evolved into practically how do we live our lives. You know, what's a kosher shofar? What's a kosher sukkah? What's a kosher lulu? What's a kosher esrit? All that comes from the Gemara. So if you're not able to properly differentiate between something which is exactly, is this a question? Is this an answer? Who's the question on? And who's the answer on? And we're going to see through the class today why that's so important. Then you're lost. Even if you could translate the words of the Gemara, it really has nothing to do with the Gemara if you can't get down to the bottom of this. So you could be really translating words of Gemara, even semi-following the logic of the Gemara, but if you're not able to clearly identify upon whom is this a question, why is this a question, and how is the question answered, so not only are you not going to know what's going on in the Gemara, but you'll have nothing to take home from the Gemara. So that's why this step is really such an important step. And it starts with a statement. Every Gemara is going to start with a statement. It's very important to point out. Sometimes the Gemara is explicitly clear which statement it's addressing, but in many cases, it's not. You might find a Gemara which starts off with the words, Hasu Lamali. Hasu Lamali means, why do we need anything else? Now, there is a line that the, that the Gemara is focusing on. It becomes your duty to find that line, to find that memra, to find that statement. If you can't find that line, don't bother re- reading the answer. You've got to stop right there and go back and figure this out. The, my most recent example where this came up in, in Daf was we had a concept of Pesha also Pesha hit there in Ksubis. The idea that if I'm the one who incriminates myself, I could then go ahead and exonerate myself with a clarification. So if I say, I was witness to the following document, I could then clarify that even though I was witness to the following document, my signature does not actually substantiate this document because I was forced to do it. Then we have the same thing with a woman who's married and she says something about her marriage, or or a woman who was, who she, she had an affair and she explains what happened, or someone who was captured and then explains what happened while they were captured. All these things, the Gemara goes through a number of different examples, and then the Gemara says, Hasulamali. Now you need to be able to remember that in the last five, six daf, the Gemara gave four different examples of this, and understand that that statement that the Gemara is working through took, took about six pages to build up. So the statement sometimes will be located between two colons. You might have two dots. They're called two dots, which in English is a colon. right? You have those two dots, and you have you know, what we would otherwise call quotation marks, and the Gemara has a different way of doing it. But ultimately, you have quotation marks at the beginning and the end, and then you'll have that statement. Sometimes the Gemara will say gufa, which tells you, look, we're about to quote something. Or tanya, or tanan. That's when the Gemara is giving it away, but sometimes it's not as clear. But if you're ever reading something, you always have to know upon which statement are we going back on. Now the next concept is, I divided it, it's really, it's really two different things, but there's kasha, which is a difficulty, and then sestir, which is a contradiction. Both of these things are not just questions trying to get more information. These are questions which pose a significant difficulty with what we are learning. 
And what this basically says is, you, you taught me something. There's a statement that appears in the Mishnah, a statement that appears in a Brisa, a statement that appears somewhere. And I have a difficulty with it. In other words, I can't just live with this statement as it is, either because I don't understand it, and it, there's a problem with it, or because I have an opposing statement somewhere else, which is a stira. So this is a... And I write here, it, it always presents a havamina. The reason why this is important is because it's really only in Talmud, Talmudic logic where we have this concept of really analyzing a havamina. What does a havamina mean? Havamina is my first thought. And what's interesting is when you go through a lot of the achreinim, the, the later commentary, you'll find a long discourse back and forth on a havamina. Now, halachically, this will never make it into Shulchan Aruch because it's only a thought. Why are the Rishonim or Achronim spending so much time analyzing an initial thought? And the reason is because it's so important to understand the value of a Havamina because the process, the logical process of going through this is so critical towards your maskana, to what we take away from it, that if you don't properly understand what the Havamina was, if you can't understand the process, the evolution of the thought in the Gemara, of how we got there, you'll have no idea why we're compelled to say the Maskana, which is the conclusion, and you'll be confused between what's the right way and wrong way to understand the Mishnah. So while it might sound funny for a person to give a whole sheer Kloli, a whole discourse on a Havamina, on an initial thought of a Gemara, we find that the Achronim do this. The reason why the Achronim do it is because going through the logical evolution of a Gemara and understanding, here's the statement, and these are the two ways of viewing the statement, is such a critical part of getting to the bottom line because when you're ultimately presented with a halachic question of what should you do, if you don't understand how the Havamina changed to a maskana, you're confused about what the halacha is. So again, in every kasha or in every stira, you're going to have a premise upon which the Gemara is asking the question. The premise presents us with a certain set of facts, and then upon that premise we'll have a difficulty. Often, when you can get to the Teretz, you're going to have the Maskana, and the Maskana is in almost every case going to replace your Havamina. In other words, it's not going to simply just answer the question. What it's going to do is tell you that you had a misunderstanding, a misconception in your understanding of that statement, so much so that your misunderstanding led you to having this question. But once you change that premise, you're able to move on without having a difficulty. And the truth is, there's, there's a, a, a Musser Haskell on this, just in life in general. <clears throat> sometimes when we first see a situation, we understand it with a certain lens, or through a certain lens, and because we understood something, it could be a societal issue, it could be you know, any other personal issue, but since we saw it through a certain lens, it's very difficult to let go of it. Entire Gemara, the whole process of learning Gemara, really begs an open mind. Because if you're not able to change your premise, then you often can't learn anything. And the truth is, I just want to point out, the way that I developed this way of learning Gemara is backwards. And I'll explain to you what I mean. After learning enough Gemara, 
and going through enough of the Gemara's questions and answers, it leads you to say, if the Gemara keeps asking Pshita, if the Gemara keeps asking Minani Mili, if the Gemara keeps asking Minalan, if the Gemara keeps asking all these questions, so then that is how the Gemara is understanding the construct, the structure of a Mishnah. Now, how do we get to learning Gemara properly? By seeing what the Rishonim do to the Gemara. Seeing how the Rishonim analyze the Gemara, seeing how the Rishonim and the Achonim analyze the Havamina, puts you back into that, set, into that step to say, you know what, if this is what the Rishonim did to the Gemara, maybe when I learned Gemara, I could pick up on these points. So that's really where we get to in Kasha. Kasha is a difficulty based on a certain premise. A Teretz is a resolution to that difficulty where almost always what we do is we change the premise, which leads us to the concept of Hachba or Hachi Ka'amar, or Lo, Tzricha. We need this because of something else. But ultimately the idea is you need to change your initial understanding, your premise, to be able to properly res- resolve your problem. A shayla, a question, is something entirely different. A question is, you always ask a question when you're missing information. Asking questions allows a person to fill in missing information. So, for example, if I were to ask somebody, what is your name? I don't have a difficulty with the fact that the person's name is something that I don't like. I have missing information. I don't know the person's name. But if I walk over to someone and say, how could your name be so-and-so if your brother's name is that? Oh, you're not brothers. In other words, the idea is, if you believe the two people are brothers, and then you find out that both of their names are Yaakov, so then I have a difficulty. Two of you are brothers, you both have the same name. We don't give two brothers the same name. How could it possibly be that two brothers have the same name? Oh, the answer is, we thought they were brothers because they live in the same house, but they're not brothers, they're actually not biologically related, and they just happen to live together, they're roommates, they look alike. Okay, that's how you resolve the problem. A question is, what's your name? I have nothing difficult with anything. Just don't know your name. And that's why the answer is always very simple. Ibayalahu. I'll ask you a question. What's the halacha in this case? Okay? And then I might say, because I'm missing information, I don't know another, thing, an- another piece of information either. In other words, if I'm missing a foundation, I might say, Ibayalahu. What's the halacha in this case? And then, Im Tim If you're going to answer me, the following way. So then I'll have another question. And Imtin Suleimar, on that question, I'll have a third question. But essentially, all of that is just saying, I have no difficulty, I don't need to change any premises, I don't need to change any preconceived ideas, all I need to do is find out a missing piece of information. That's a shaila, and then you'll have an answer, which is a tshuva, an answer of, you know what the halacha is? The halacha is chayim, the halacha is pata, the halacha is tameh, the halacha is tar, the halacha is mutter, the halacha is asr. And then it ends right there. And then Raya is the, the final, the, pretty much the final thing that we're dealing with over here, is once you have to change your premise, so then you have to generally prove that your new premise is correct. Because the idea that I could change my premise basically says to me that if my first one was wrong, my second one can be wrong. So now how do I know which one is right and which one is wrong? to know how that I resolve the problem properly. And that's really the concept of bringing a raya to say, you know what, I can prove this because in another case we have an explicit statement. So these concepts are very important to identify. Now, again, 
it's possible that a person, and I said this before, but it's possible a person could read through a whole Amr of Gemara, translate every single word, the question and the answer, and the question and the answer, and still not learn the Gemara because they're not properly identifying is this a Kasha or is this a Shaila? Is this a Teretz? Is this a Havamina? Sometimes you'll have an answer is also a Havamina. So Havamina, again, these are terms that come up, they're, they're not, I wouldn't put these in, in the category of key concepts, but they're critical parts to understanding the structure of the Gemara. Any questions on that so far? Okay. Now, let's, let's go through a little bit of a Gemara over here to, to show how this works. We learned this Gemara previously. This is the case of Hamaniach Sakad versus Rabbim. person places a places a jug or a, a barrel in Rosh Hashanah. So this Gemara, we're going to go to the Gemara now, Dachav Zayin and Beis in Bavakama, Parak HaManiach, it's the third Parak, and we're going to go to the top line. So here is a classic example of where the Gemara is very clear with us about what the statement is. How do we know that? Because if you look at the top line, there's those two dots there, and we have Uba Achar Beniskalba Ushivara Potter. Another person came, tripped on it and broke it, the person who tripped on it is Potter. Okay? So that's clearly the statement. All right, now, the Gemara begins why? It begins with the question that we would expect. Am I Potter? And we already know from our previous classes that this question is obviously going to show up. person breaks something, and nevertheless, the mission said he's Potter. So after analyzing the case... We're wondering, why is he potter? Now, what's the reason why we would analyze it? The Gemara goes ahead and says, and the Gemara explains, am I potter? Why is this person exempt from paying for the damage that he caused? He stepped on something. Again, this is the third line on page 20 of our packet. In Parakhamaniach, the third parak above the comma. The first line, the first word in the third line is, Umezel, the Gemara says, this person should pay attention to what he's doing. There's a guy walking in the street, and he steps on someone's jug, and he breaks it. The Mishnah says he's potter. Says the Gemara, I understand, why is he potter? This guy, watch where he's going. So, now let's identify what's happening over here. So, what, what, what we have here is a statement, and we have a kasha. It's a kasha because logic dictates that if a person is not watching where he's going and he breaks something, he's responsible for it. To substantiate this, we have a Mishnah that says, A person is always responsible for their actions. No such thing as saying that a person could be exempt because they weren't paying attention. I'm sorry you weren't paying attention, but you should be watching where you're going. So Gemara says, I'm I'm sorry, how would you find, like, you person's responsible for their actions, right? Where would you, would there be a reference to that somewhere that you, you know? So, yeah, so the, the answer is, yes, there, there is a reference to it. Often you'll find that the Rishonim bring it in. What? Okay, but again, but I think that that's, that's a, that is a relevant point. What Greg is pointing out is that sometimes you could just understand the Gemara by saying, and this is what we've been doing the whole time. I think, what would I think about this? And when the Mishnah says something which is 
which get, goes against my default position, so then you have to ask the other, you know, play the devil's advocate and say, why? And present that logic. And that's what the Gemara does over here. Okay, so it's Potter. Hold on a second. Shouldn't the guy watch where he's going? Shouldn't the guy be paying attention? Now the Gemara says, Amr Rav, Rav, Case number one, it must be that if we are not holding this guy responsible for watching where he's going, then what? The guy was watching where he was going, but he needed to go to work. Now, we're not talking about where there's, you know, a bunch of different ways, different traffic patterns. A guy is driving to work. He's on his horse and buggy, and he can't just turn around the whole chariot over here. And the entire Rosh Hashanah is loaded up with this guy's personal wares. You know, this guy loaded up his stuff into public property. So, yes, I am watching where I'm going, but I'm allowed to go. It's public property. So this is a toy about a guy who intentionally proceeded and moved along the path and destroyed property. So the, this is the, the Gemara's first understanding is... That yes, it's true. The premise that a person must watch where he's going. And if he doesn't watch where he's going, he's going to be held financially responsible. Financially responsible is true. But the, the facts of the case are different. And if you look on the first sheet that we had on page 19, you'll see a teretz in that like the subcategory that resolves the difficulty by changing the premise, either by changing the case or changing the halacha. This is a classic example of where we change the case. You're right. If a guy is just walking on the sidewalk and he steps on someone's jug that's on the side, listen, watch where you're going. You didn't watch where you're going, pay for it. Now, what we're doing over here is we're changing the case. Your logic is correct. The logic that a person should watch where they're going in an absence of watching where you're going, you're going you're gonna to be, be financially responsible. That's true. But the case changes. It must be the person was paying attention, but he had nothing he could do about it. And he has the right to move forward in Rosh Hashanah. Shmuel Amar, Shmuel says, It's dark. Okay, it's very dark outside. So therefore, how much can you hold the person responsible for watching where they're going? There's no headlights on a horse. So the guy is driving, he's plowing forward, and he's you know, kind of feeling his way through. He's trying not to crash into a tree, he doesn't want to fall into a pit. He's not watching to see if the guy left his jug of water on the side of the road. So again, this is also changing the case. What is Rabbi Yochanan? Rabbi Yochanan Amar Bekaren Zavius. It's talking about where it was in a corner. And we talked about this, that what this basically means is the, the item was concealed. So again, we're not talking about a case where a person has a, a camera that goes around the corner and you can see everything that's coming. This is what we call a blind spot. The person was going forward and there was a blind spot and he couldn't see what was coming. So all these three cases, all these three answers, what they do is they basically say the Havamina is correct. And this is a very important Havamina because is a person obligated to watch where he's going and if you don't watch where you're going, you're going to be chayiv. The answer is, according to all these answers, is yes. The only exception is if a person has no choice. Number one, he needs to go, but there's no place else to go. Number two, it's too dark. You can't look for it. Number three, it's talking about a case where it's, it's hidden, it's concealed behind the corner. 
Now, if you skip a little bit more, the Gemara, I don't want to go through all this right now, but the Gemara is, is trying to figure out if this works according to other, to other opinions. But the Gemara at the end, if you, if you go a little bit farther down to where it says, Amr layer of Abel of Ashi. Hachi Amri Bimarava. You see that? It is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, about 13, 14 lines down from the, from the top. It says, Amr layer of Abel of Ashi. Hachi Amri Bimarava. He's quoting something that was, this is what was said in Marava. Mishmei Durab Ula. Lefi. What does that mean? The Gemara is now coming up with an entirely new, uh, entirely new idea. It's, it's a change of premise and a change of halacha. Okay, it's not a change of case. What it's saying is normal people, when they're walking, are not watching their feet. In other words, if you are in Rishos Harabin and you're walking, you're trying to get somewhere, you aren't watching every place you, st- you, every place you put your feet down. So therefore, a normal person who leaves their property in, public, in, in a, pu- a pu- public area needs to understand and expect that people are going to be walking by here and what's going to happen is they're going to step on your things. So this is, this is an example of where you have to be open to saying, you know what, to us at the beginning of this year, it sounded so obvious. Watch where you're going. What are you stepping on someone's things for? But then when you start to analyze this and you go through the whole case, you say, you know something? Maybe that premise is not true. Maybe the halacha is not true that if a person is not watching where they're going, that they're going to have to pay for it. It's possible that normal people who are driving down the road are not necessarily looking out for every, every child's ball that's in the street. Driving down the road, even at 25 miles an hour, you can't always just come to a short stop every time an item is in the middle of the street. That's not a normal way of driving. People usually drive within a certain speed limit in certain areas, expecting to be able to stop with enough time for an unexpected thing to come up. But again, the fact that I should never run over something that's in the street, if a person leaves even a small item in the middle of the street, you should expect a person to get out of his car and say, you know, I ran over your, um, your ear pods. What is it doing in the middle of the street? Oh, you should have been watching where you're going. I was watching where I was going, but I was driving 30 miles an hour down the road, and I didn't notice your little white little thing in the middle of the street. So again, it's important to recognize that now I have, a, I have an openness to understanding the premise wasn't true, the havamin of the Gemara, that people have to watch every single step that they take. And in absence of watching every step that you, you take, you're going to be obligated to pay for anything that you damage. Could you imagine... The financial responsibility people would have just by driving their car down the street? The answer is, people, when they walk, they walk. And this is even relevant in Hilchah Shabbos. How many times have you been walking on Shabbos and possibly stepped on an ant? Are you chayiv for Hilchah Shabbos? Every time you kill an ant that's on the floor? Now, if it's, you do it intentionally, you shouldn't do it. But this is called a misasik. A misasik is, I'm going about my life. I'm going about doing things which are permissible. I'm taking a walk. I'm not obligated to inspect 
and to sweep out every area of the ground before I step on it to make sure that I don't kill an ant. I'm allowed to take a walk. And while Hilchas Shabbos and Hilchas Nizakin are different, because there's a concept called Melechas Machshavas, so the requirement to be obligated for Hilchas Shabbos is different, but the concept, the idea is true, that you know what? It is true that you're responsible for everything that you do, but it is also true that normal people live normal lives and don't do abnormal things. And that's why the Gemara has to change and say, yes, it is true, that people should watch where they're going. But it's not normal for a person to watch every step that he takes. So now let's try to analyze this Havamina and this Maskana. Is the Havamina a crazy Havamina? No, it's not. It's actually quite legitimate. As a matter of fact, in most cases, it's relevant. The question over here is a question of application. Is that Havamina applicable to this case? The answer is no. So here we started off with a statement. We have a kasha, a logical kasha, a logical difficulty with this, which is watch where you're going. And the premise of that is that if you don't watch where you're going, you're liable for damage that you cause. That is technically true, but it's in darkon shel b'nei adam lisbonin bedrachim. It's not normal for people to walk like this in the street. So the premise changes. The premise that you're always responsible if you don't watch where you're going is actually not such, a, not such an absolute um, statement. It's true you are responsible for yourself, but you have to change the premise and say it's not always relevant. That's example number one. Um, I was going to do another one, but I think it's going to take too long to go through it. But again, in the next few shurim, I want to, I want to go through this, through this as well to be, able to, to be able to identify different gemaras and to be able to find what's the statement. In other words, what do we know as, as a hard fact? Now, the statement as a hard fact needs to come from a Mishnah, it comes from a Brisa, it comes from someplace else, which is ultimately, it's a statement that was made in the base Medrash, or we have a statement that was made even by an Amora. But it's a statement which is a statement which is irrefutable as a statement. And then we have to analyze when the Gemara goes to the next step of asking a question on it. Is the Gemara asking a kasha or is the Gemara asking a shayla? A kasha is always going to be a difficulty based on a certain premise. A shayla is a missing information because you told me something, but not, wasn't inclusive enough. In other words, it wasn't a broad enough statement that included enough information that I know all the detailed that I could extrapolate all the details for other relevant cases. A teretz in the Gemara almost always is going to correct your havamina, your premise of your kasha, and then be able to provide clarity. The reason why this is not difficult is because either we're changing the case, and you know what? Maybe we're not changing the case, but your halacha was off. One of the things, the thing I even mentioned this at one point, one of the things that I remember as, as a boy in yeshiva having a difficulty with the, con- the concept of hacha b'mayoskina. It, it made me crazy at certain points in time. You have a Mishnah, and I remember it's actually Gemara Baba Basra. And I'll, I'll try to bring it in, because it's one of those Gemaras which, which stick with me. Where the Gemara talks about the case of a shovech, you have to be marchik, a, a, a bird's nest. But it's not just a bird's nest, it's an area where you have a bunch of birds. What's it called? I don't remember what it's called. Aviary. Something. 
a dovecote. Now you have basically a bunch of birds, and the Gemara comes up with a with a number of questions, and the Gemara l- limits that case to such an obscure case. Are you kidding? The whole Mishnah was talking about like this crazy case, but the idea really is that you're right that halacha in the Mishnah is only talking about an obscure, almost impossible case. But along that line, all those havaminas that you had along the way are halacha lamaisa. Now, they might, they might not be the halacha of that Mishnah, but they're the halacha of what the Mishnah doesn't say. And being able to identify exactly what the Mishnah says, what the question was, what's the havamina, what changes in every step of the Gemara until you finally get to the bottom line. All right, listen, the halacha is only rele- relevant in one case, but all that information along the way is also going to be true. And that's important to be able to identify what are those, that all those steps are in Mirz Hashem. Going further, we'll be able to identify these. For now, have a wonderful week. It's a pleasure learning with you. Uh,